I, I remember when I was in my 20s and, you know, began hearing about these spiritual gifts and all that kind of stuff and uh, began thinking that uh, maybe I might have a spiritual gift of leadership. I, I just like, seriously, do I really? I, part of me, it was like, okay, I have a gift of leadership, but I don't know that I really have a gift of leadership. And, uh, and then I began looking back uh, at that time, you know, I'm in my, probably in my late 20s, so I'm looking back, so there's not real far to look back at, not like now. I mean, I got a long ways I look back now. But I, I remember things like when I was in sixth grade, um, got chosen by my teachers to be captain of the crossing guard. Now, back in those days, kids walked to school, and when you got to the school, they had, you know, people come out with the flags, kids, and that kind of stuff. Well, I was chosen as captain. Uh, I don't, I really don't know why I was chosen as captain. It's just that I got chosen. But it made me pay attention as I continue to go through that even, like, stuff... Uh, like in churches I was growing up, I was always placed in some kind of leadership position. Um, and then I got to college, and I went to Covenant Bible College for my first year. And at Covenant Bible College, they had this outreach on Sunday nights. And so I, I was asked to be in charge of the team of five to six students that led this outreach to high school students. Again, I don't know why one of the professors came and asked me to do that. Then I came back to Wilmer and went to the junior college in Wilmer for a year, and I was volunteering for Youth for Christ and working with middle school kids. And the Youth for Christ director, who was paid, uh, asked me if I would take over the middle school um, campus life program and so here I am, you know, 19, 20, you know, snot-nosed kid, and, and I'm leading these junior high kids. And then I went on and was part of a singing group called Carpenters Tools International. They traveled around uh, the world and the United States, and the, the director at that time, his name is Dave, he came and asked me to participate in this group, but then he asked me, would you lead the group? At that point, I'm like 21, and there, there was one other gal who was 21, and then the rest of the group, the other six or seven, were like 19 and 18 years of age, and we're traveling around the United States, and I'm leading this group. Back then, I'm like, yeah, I got this. Uh, but now I look back and I go, wow. <laughs> I don't think they were very smart sending us out around the country. My, my point in sharing this is that even after all those experiences, even in my late 20s, and I'm working for Youth for Christ, and I'm leading a program, I don't, I don't know if I'm really a leader. I, I just didn't see that. Uh, but then I read a book by Bill Hybels called Courageous Leadership, and in there he had a whole chapter just showing that leaders come in all shapes and sizes. Because I had a picture in my mind of a leader was this type of person, you know, the type A driven, you know, take on the world, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Bill, in his book, was just saying, you know what, there's all kinds of leaders, they just come, they look different. And that was really the first time where I really started going, hmm, I think I do have this gift of leadership. So why am I telling you this? Because I think as we've been unwrapping spiritual gifts, 
I feel like is, um, for some of us, especially if we're younger and we, we may hear about a gift and as we go through the lists that we've been doing of, hey, you may have the gift of if, if you feel this way. I think sometimes we just kind of go, I think that's me, but I'm not really sure. And so then we hesitate. And when we ask people to come, come forward to get prayed for and that kind of stuff, there's some fear. And I, I get the fear because, you know... But I, I just want you to understand, this is a journey that we're on together. So it, it's not about, if you come forward for prayer, you're not going to get it wrong. I mean, we're, we're in a discerning time, and so we want to be on that journey together. Paul has these words to Timothy, and we've shared these words before, found in chapter 1, verse 6 of 2 Timothy it says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. And this is why we want you to come forward so we can lay hands on you and pray for you. But if there's this fanning into flame. So even if this gift is just a little spark, we want to fan it into flame. But right after that, Paul says this. He says, for the Spirit of God gave us uh, does not make us timid or is not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline or sound mind. I, I think Paul, I think Timothy was like, you know, I know you laid hands on me and I know I have this gift, but I'm really not sure if this is my gift. I, I'm a little afraid to exercise this gift. And yet Paul is saying, hey, that fear, that's not from God. God has given you a, a spirit of power and love and sound mind. So as we're going through this process, all I want to do is encourage you that as we talk about different gifts, if you have an inkling that maybe that's you, at the end of the service when we invite you forward to pray, just, just come forward and let us pray for you. Let us, uh, let us do that, all right? Um, I, my leadership gift is way more developed today than when I was in my late 20s. Just ask my wife. Um, but it required, even though I had this gift, it required training. It required me doing a lot of reading. And it required me to step into places where leadership happened. In fact, there's many times I failed as a leader. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't have the gift. The, the whole idea here is when we discover what our gifts are, we need to train. And that's what we want to do. We want to equip you. We, we need to know what it's about, and then we need to step into opportunities for service. I, I think the dilemma of our Western church, where everything's got to be perfect, the worship's got to be perfect, and our worship is perfect, right? Just want to say that. Uh, <laughs> our worship has to be perfect, the, the preaching has to be perfect, everything in the church has to be perfect, or it just, that, that's not the way God intended the church to be. We're, church is supposed to be us gathering together. We worship the Lord. We study His Word. And we come together in all of our brokenness and our mess. And we, we do it again. So as a reminder, as we talk about spiritual gifts, our definition we are using is from Dr. Robert Clinton. He says this, A spiritual gift is a God-given, unique capacity which is given to each believer for the purpose of releasing a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry 
whether in a situation or to be repeated again and again. And again, the reason why I like that is because God's spiritual gifts, either it's something you're given and you just keep on and on and on, like my gift of leadership. Sometimes you're given a gift for a moment in time, and God utilizes you in that way. Dr. Clinton also divides spiritual gifts into three categories, and we've been kind of jumping off these. The, the love gifts, which are the ones on the left there, uh, they manifest the love of God in real ways. So through those gifts, people see the love of God in very intangible ways. The word gifts, which are in the middle up there, and we talked about those the first two weeks, and so if you weren't here those two weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those. The word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God's. Uh, of, of God. So it's, it's like when those gifts are, in, are happening, people begin to see more clearly what are the, the purposes and how God responds and acts in the world today. The power gifts, whoa, here we go. Uh, the power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. We're going to be talking about them in the next couple of weeks. So today, we're going to hit all four of the love gifts, all right? They manifest the love of God in real ways. So why is this important? Well, if we don't understand God's love, we're in a mess. Right? God is love, right? If God is love, then the church needs to be about loving each other. What's the greatest command? Love God, love others. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, where there's a whole bunch of stuff, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. Right smack dab in the middle, in chapter 13, there's this chapter we call the love chapter because it describes love and what love is about, why love is so important. These gifts are the support gifts. They build up what God is trying to accomplish and what he is trying to establish. They generally work behind the scenes. Where, As we looked at the uh, word gifts last week, remember the word gifts, uh, part of Dr. Clinton's research and studies show that most people who are leaders have one of those word gifts. These are more in a supportive role. Now, they can function in a leadership role also. It's important for us that the church is built on the foundation of love, and so that's why we need these love gifts. The first gift that we're going to look at this morning is the administrative gift, or governments as it's put in some translations. Now I know for some of you are going, administration, a love gift? Yes, good question. So administration, the gift of administration involves the capacity to manage details of service functions so as to support and free other leaders to prioritize their efforts. The primary verse where you found this is 1 Corinthians 12, 28. The central thrust is to support organizational abilities. Now, um, one of the things I mentioned too is just the certainty of the definition. Recognizing that we... For some spiritual gifts, we have lots of information, and for others, we only have a little bit. 
like administration, the certainty of definition is limited because you really only see the word for administration in this passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Administrative gifts are guiding gifts. Um, it can be. Now, a leader can have administrative gifts, uh, but often you'll find those with administrative gifts are more in a supportive role. Now, leadership gifts, which we talked about last week, is about leadership, it's about vision, it's about inspiration, it's answering the where question. Where are we going? That's what leaders do. Administrative gifts is more about the how question. How are we going to do that? In fact, the Greek word here for administration has a, uh, is a nautical term. It means helmsman. So a person who is at the helm of a ship. So you, so you have a captain on the ship. The captain is going, we're going that way. Wow. Pastor Chris found something there. That wasn't even a planned joke and I got to laugh. So, so the captain says, we're going that way. The, one, the helmsman says, okay, here's how we're going to get there. Plots out the course and says, we're going this direction. The key here is that if the, if the helmsman doesn't have leadership gift and they're performing or in a supportive role, they don't set the direction, that's where we're going, they are helping make the direction or, or telling how we're going to get there. Bruce Bugby in his book on uh, spiritual gifts defines it this way. The divine, uh, administration is the divine enablement. Oh, wow, I can't even talk this morning. All right, let me try that again. The divine enablement to understand what makes an organization function and the special ability to plan and, ex- and execute procedures that accomplish the goal of the ministry. Now, we find a story in the Bible about administration in play, and that's found in Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It's a familiar story for many of you, and here's what uh, Luke has to say in Acts. He says this, In those days, when a number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in daily distribution of food. So, this is an organizational problem. How do we distribute food so that everybody gets an equal share? Yes, there were some group dynamics, meaning the, you know, the Hebraic Jews were complaining about the Hellenistic Jews and so on. But at the heart of the question here is, how do we make this fair? Luke goes on. So the twelve, that's the disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So the twelves, these are the leaders, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles. They're like, you know what? Figuring out how to get food distributed is not right for us because that would neglect uh, keep us from doing what God has called us to do. So they said, brothers and sisters, 
Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So seven were chosen, and those seven answered the how question. How are we going to feed everybody fairly? And the apostles continue to minister the Word, teaching, preaching, and providing leadership. Now, uh, I do not have the gift of administration. Now, I have learned and acquired skills of administration over time because it's part of what I need to do. I need to be somewhat organized. Um, But I remember when I was a youth pastor and the youth ministry was growing and I was like, you know, if I had somebody come in 10 hours a week and take care of all the administrative stuff, that could really multiply my ministry. And this was back in the early 90s, and so I went to my senior pastor in the leadership and said, hey, 10 hours a week, at that time, 10 bucks an hour was a good good pay, 100 bucks a week, we can multiply the effectiveness of ministry, because what takes me 15 to 20 hours, somebody else could do in 10 who is a gifted in administration. Uh, They didn't see it that way, so... Nothing ever changed. So I labored on and on. When we went and planted a church, I intentionally hired a part-time person who helped with all the details. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, When I was at Church of the Open Door and I was over over all of the uh, pre-marriage ministry and all of the groups, I had a full-time admin assistant. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I was in heaven. The cool thing about this person is she began to know what I would say. And so when group leaders, this was a a large church of probably about 2,500 people at that time. So we had a lot of groups, a lot of couples in our pre-marriage ministry. She, She would take care of most phone calls before they even got to me because she knew what to say. Uh, I remember the first week I was there, she came to me and said, hey, there's a pastor from Kansas. Um, he's doing a wedding, and the couple is from Minnesota, or lives in Minnesota, and they're going through our pre-marriage stuff. He just wants to know what we do for our pre-marriage stuff. I've been there a week, and so I was kind of like deer in headlights for a moment. She saw the deer in headlights. She said, do you want me to write a letter, and then you sign it, and then I send it? Yes. Literally five minutes later, there's a letter on my desk with my name on it, and boy, did it sound good. I signed it and sent it. Um, it's, it's the reason why this recognition that I don't have the gift of administration and others do, that when I began to know Pastor Chris, who has the spiritual gift of administration, I was like, I need to get her on staff. And what you don't know is that after we'd been working together for a period of time, I made her promise she couldn't leave until I leave. 
The, the point is, is that I recognize early on that I'm part of a body. And my leadership gifts, my encouragement gifts, my teaching gifts are enhanced as I have people around me who are gifted in, in administration. Now there's a dark side to this, or what we call the dark side, or we call operating in the flesh, and that happens when the helmsman subverts the direction of the captain. That's what happens when one who is gifted in administration begins to operate in the flesh. And then the direction begins to go off course. Now, that doesn't mean the captain has all the right directions. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want us to take my stories of me and, and Chris off the rail because I listen, to all, I listen to elders and I listen to everybody around so, so that we're clear on direction. But the point is, if any of us operate in the flesh, it begins to take and use that gift in an unhealthy way. So now, one of the things that we do at the end of each of our gifts, I say a bunch of sentences, and so you may have the gift of administration if, so I want you to just listen to these words that I say, and pay attention to how many of these uh, pertain to you, and just take notice, okay? So if you need to focus by closing your eyes, or whatever you need to do, just listen to these words. You may have the gift of administration if you have a knack for organizing things. You may have the gift of administration if you like to create standardized methods for doing things. You may have the gift of administration if you think in terms of helping people so that they reach their goals. You may have the gift of administration if you have a concern for the good of the whole group. You may have the gift of administration if you like to do things that support other people. You may have the gift of administration if you organize things and carry out detailed plans. You may have the gift of administration if you find the steps necessary for plans to become or for, to come into re- reality. All right, now just... If you had... A bunch of those that you kind of said yes to, or all of them, or whatever, then you may have the spiritual gift of administration. And the body of Christ needs you. All right? Let's, let's move on to uh, the next one serving or helps. This gift. The gift of serving or helps refers to the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical means. We find that in those scriptures, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and even Peter deals with it in 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. The central thrust of this gifting is to assist others in their work. I love what... Dr. Clinton says in his book about the gift of serving, he says, The beauty of this gift is the way God takes the commonplace, routine, and menial and raises it to a spiritual level. 
There are individuals who are empowered by God to offer help to others above and beyond the ordinary service of Christians. And God's divine enabling uh, shines through. Uh, This gift, uh, as with all gifts, is amplified when the person recognizes that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit and they depend on the Spirit to strengthen them and give them what they need to serve. This gift is about giving aid to others in practical ways. It's about helping. Most of the time, this gift is done in one-on-one situations, but it's also done in, in to help an organization and a group. Now, there's a story about someone who has the gift of serving, and that's found in Acts chapter 9. This is the story of Dorcas. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. You see the serving happening here. Always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Joppa is on the Mediterranean Sea, it's where present-day Tel Aviv is, and Lydda was like 13 miles inland towards Jerusalem, so it's really about a half day's walk. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs into a room, all the widows stood around him. Sorry, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get caught up. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Again, see the serving. She acquired the skill of making clothes and then used her spiritual gift of serving to provide widows who, in that time, widows were on the margins. Widows were generally poor. So she wasn't making clothes for a business. She was making clothes to serve. The story goes on. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented, him to, presented her to them alive. Again, the author Luke wants us to know the widows are the big deal here. Okay? Serving, it, it, serving is important in whatever way you have the gift of serving, but serving, empowered by the Holy Spirit, helps those in need. So this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in in the Lord. Uh, The story is amazing, uh, and we always think of this story because Peter raised this woman from from the dead. And that's a big deal, right? If somebody raises somebody from the dead, you go, whoa, that's a big deal. But I think the bigger story here is Tabitha used her spiritual gift of serving 
to help widows, people in need. That's, that's the, the baseline of the story that gets missed because we focus on the raising from the dead. Again, the raising from the dead is a big deal. I'm not trying to say that that's not. But I think the bigger deal for me is here's a woman who, who, who used her spiritual gift of serving and her acquired skill of making clothes, and she helped the poor. I think sometimes uh, we get so focused on using our spiritual gifts for ourselves and what it does for us or what we want, we forget that we are gifted by God to serve and build and edify the church and His kingdom. Now, when someone who has a gift of serving operates in the flesh, um, it becomes about feeling better for yourself. I serve somebody so that I feel better about me. And then what happens is if that person doesn't appreciate your serving and you're not getting the pat on the back, then you get frustrated. Then you get angry. Then you get bitter. And as people ask you for more because you just serve, that's what you do, pretty soon it leads to burnout. And this is why it's so important for us in all of our spiritual gifts to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit and to serve the way God has called us to serve. Now, here we go again. You may have the gift of helps or serving if... Close your eyes or do whatever you need to focus in. Uh, you may have the gift of helps or serving if you desire to help others physically move or in building things they need. You may have the gift of serving if you share God's love by fixing a car or doing work someone cannot do. You may have the gift of serving uh, if you have an unselfish desire to come alongside others in need. You may have the gift of serving if you, have bent, if you have a bent towards working with the disabled. You may have the gift of serving if you're generous with your time and, insist, and assist others in their hands-on needs. You may have the gift of serving if you prefer serving others anonymously. You may have the gift of serving if you see your gift as freeing up others to preach the gospel. Again, let that settle in. There are many of you in this room that have the gift of serving. I know you. The body of Christ needs you. We need you to serve. We need you to use your gift. The third gift that we're going to look at this morning is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy refers to the capacity to both feel sympathy for those injured or in need, and to manifest care in some practical way to encourage and comfort. It's found in Romans 12.8. Central thrust is empathetic care for those who are hurting. Now, um, this gift is about showing compassion and pity and gracious favor. Uh, mercy sees someone in need before maybe they even see it. 
And even though mercy may feel like an emotion, because there's a lot of emotion within mercy, it's more than just an emotion, it's a deep calling. As John Thompson has written in his book, he says, mercy is divine love under the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Mercy is divine love under the power of the Holy Spirit. So now, sometime this week, read 1 Corinthians 13, which we talks about the love chapter, especially verses 4 through 7, which talks about what love is and isn't, and then put that on steroids. That's mercy. See, Peter Wagner says this, Mercy is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals who suffer distress, physical, mental, or emotional problems, and translate that compassion into cheerfully done deeds which reflect Christ's love and alleviate people from suffering. Um, You mercy people... I know you carry a burden. Um, we, we need you, and we need you to, to, to be plugged into the Holy Spirit and into the body so you don't carry that burden alone. You're not meant to carry it alone. But we need you, mercy people. We desperately need you because we have a hurting world. And and to be honest, I mean, I, I, mercy's not in my wheelhouse. It's, it's just not. It doesn't mean I don't care for people again. It's just that I, my wife is laughing up here like crazy. She gets it. it it's just that I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't sense and feel things that sometimes that people who I know have the gift of mercy. I need you. I need you to sense and feel what's going on in somebody's world. And if it's something that I need to step into or the elders need to step into, I need to hear from you. Our elders need to hear from you so that we can then help in whatever way. Mercy people, you're not meant to carry this burden alone. Quick story of mercy in the Bible is found in John 8. It's, this is actually Jesus in action, and it's a familiar story. The woman caught in adultery. Um, at the dawn, at the dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Um, Here's the deal. These men didn't care about this woman at all. They were using her. So let's just get that out on the table. Jesus goes on. um, They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him... He straightened up and said to them, Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You see Jesus operating in the gift of mercy. He stands between 
the pain, the abuser, and the abusee. And by his act of mercy, he begins to bring healing to this woman. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Mercy does not condemn. Mercy sees the pain. Mercy sees the hurt. And mercy comes around and supports and encourages Mercy shows God's love, and as it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, transformation happens. Now, sometimes serving in mercy can seem like they're similar, but serving generally is about um, helping, uh, helping a person accomplish something, whether it's an individual or an organization, Mercy is generally directed towards pain and hurt and anguish. Now, similar to serving, operating, when you operate in in the flesh, um, a mercy person can become an enabler. And And that's when danger happens. We have so much, we feel the pain so much that we don't dare say what needs to be said in our showing mercy. Notice what Jesus did at the story. He stood there. He didn't condemn the woman, but he followed it up by saying what? Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't enable her. She was in the wrong on her end of things. Yes, these men used her, abused her, yes. So he didn't condemn her, but he also said, Don't go and sin no more. And then similar, uh, what can happen as you become an enabler, um, you feel like nothing is changing and you're just continuing to give and give and give. And again, anger, frustration, bitterness, burnout comes in. So it's important again with all gifts, we rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us. So, Close your eyes. Do whatever you need to focus. You may have the gift of mercy if tears come easily as you hear or see others in pain. You may have the gift of mercy if most people think of you as an empathetic listener. You may have the gift of mercy if you reach out and touch or hold people who are suffering. You may have the gift of mercy if your care for people in need gives you a sense of divine purpose. You may have the gift of mercy if people like to have you around when they are in pain. You may have the gift of mercy if you give but don't receive well from others. And you may have the gift of mercy if you're the first one on the scene and the last to leave when someone is overcome with grief. So again, hang on to that. Is that you? Are a number of those things something that relates to you? The last one, we're going to hit one more quickly. 
um, and that is the gift of giving. The gift of giving refers to the capacity to give liberally to meet the needs of others and to do so out of pure motive, simply as an act of love and obedience. And this is found in Romans 12, 8. The central thrust is to channel God's resources to others. Now, I'm just going to hit on this real quickly because of time, but a couple of points I want you to know about the gift of giving. The gift, you can have the spiritual gift of giving and be poor. You see, sometimes we think it's only those with a lot of money that have the spiritual gift of giving. The spiritual gift of giving is not based on how much money is in your bank account. All we have to look at is, is like the widow's might or the woman in the temple giving her last pennies. That's who Jesus, remember? The rich guys with the big bags of coin dropping in. No, Jesus didn't call that or acknowledge them. He, called, he acknowledged the woman who gave. She was the woman, she was the one with the gift of giving. Uh, think of the boy with the fishes and loaves. And the reason why I bring this up is because sometimes we think this is all I have and I can't do anything. Uh, Jesus took a few loaves of bread and a few fish and fed 5,000. You, you may think like you only have like $5 to your name. If God calls you to give and you have the spiritual giving, gift of giving, give the $5. Let God multiply it. That's what the gift of giving does with the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, just <clears throat> Acts 4, real quick. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Um, what sometimes we don't realize is that the early church wasn't, yes, Barnabas had some land, but the early church didn't have a ton of money, okay? And people were generous out of their poverty, I remember going to Mexico on a number of mission trips, and, and the people in Mexico that, that were most generous were the ones in absolute poverty. Uh, I, have, I have stories of our kids staying in the home of a family of six, and they have one bedroom and one other room and a bathroom, and the whole family is sleeping on the floor so that the kids can have their bed. Um, that's, that's people operating in the gift of giving. Um, the gift of giving operates in the flesh when you give to get something back. I'll give you if you do what I want you to do. Or you're not doing what I want to do, so I'm going to hold my gift. Now, if you change, that's operating in the flesh. So let's close our eyes again. You may have the gift of giving if you feel called to financially support God's work. You may have the gift of giving if you are quick to assume responsibility for meeting the needs of others. You may have gift of giving if your generosity is well known by others around you. You may have the gift of giving if you create systems 
and find the means to give to God's work. You may have the gift of giving if you have the ability of blessing to amass financial resources. You may have the gift of giving if you're careful in handling resources and desire to live with integrity. You may have the gift of giving if you love to teach others how to save and tithe their resources. And again, uh, <clears throat> I know sometimes it's easy when it comes to the gift of giving to think of money, but, it, but it's, it's resources, okay? Sometimes it's just giving. You, you, just, you see somebody in need and you just you, you give. So I'm going to ask Eric to come on up here. He's going to lead us in the last song. And again, if, if for you, any of these four love gifts, administration, serving, mercy, or giving, if any of those you felt like maybe that is a gift that you have, and I'm going to ask my elders and their spouses to come forward, uh, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Come forward, meet with one of our elders and their spouses. They just want to, they want to just share, hey, I think I have the gift of um, serving. And they'll just ask you a couple questions, pray with you, anoint you with oil, and we lay hands on. And the reason why we lay hands on is because multiple places in Scripture, um, people laid hands on. And we're told to lay hands and pray for people. And then we anoint with oil because oil was used to anoint priests, and we are a kingdom of priests. As followers of Jesus, we're all priests. And so we just want to anoint you into the work God has called you to do. Uh, so yeah, come on, come on up, elders. And uh, the oil is right over here, so grab yourself an oil, uh, a thing of oil. I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray. Then you can come forward if, um, if you don't feel like any of those gifts are yours, but maybe you didn't come forward the last two weeks with one of the gifts that we talked about, you can come forward to that also. And then um, Eric's going to lead us in a song. And when he gets done with that song, um, then he will dismiss you. So let's pray, and then we'll go from there. Father God, thank you so much. Um, thank you for giving us gifts to do the work that you've called us to do. And so I pray, Father, that in Crossroads, you would raise up administrators. You would raise up servants. You would raise up mercy people. And you would raise up givers so that we can build up the body and further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.